0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises pay off.
1: Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now, your host, Kwame Christian.
0: Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. My name is Kwame Christian, I'm a business lawyer, and I am passionate about teaching business professionals like you how to negotiate and how to be more persuasive. Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to give a couple of listener shout outs. So today I have shout outs for Sarah from Ohio, Moshe from New York, and Doug from the great state of Texas. So, you know, I love hearing from all of you. So if you haven't yet, please connect with me on LinkedIn. There's a clickable link in the description that takes you straight to my LinkedIn page. Just connect with me and I'll shoot you a message. I really want to know what kinds of topics interest you and LinkedIn is the easiest way for me to connect with you. And for those of you who are looking for the free negotiation guides from previous episodes, like the car negotiation guide or the salary negotiation guide, those links are in the description as well. Today is going to be a really fun episode because we are going to teach you how to negotiate with banks. So our guest today is my friend Zach Williams. Zach is a mortgage advisor for a bank and he's going to take us behind the scenes and show us how we can actually negotiate with banks. Now, a few of you who reached out to me asked me for more information on sales and Zach also talks about how he's able to use his sales skills in his current role. So this is a really great episode. I'm excited for it and I hope you are too. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. So I am here with my friend, Zach Williams. He is a mortgage banker at State Bank and wanted to bring him in as an expert for when it comes to negotiating with the bank. So Zach, just give us a brief intro of who you are and what you do, and then we'll jump into the interview.
1: Kwame, thanks for having me. This is a great opportunity. So I really appreciate it. You know, as you mentioned, I am a mortgage banker. I like to say just mortgage lender. I work for State Bank here in Central Ohio and I help people buy houses. Residential lending is kind of my focus, but I can certainly advise on commercial lending, SBA lending and things of that nature.
0: Very nice. And can you tell us a little bit more of your entrepreneurial background too? some of the entrepreneurial stuff you're working on?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, entrepreneur wise, soon after college, I got into some personal training and did a small personal training business, which quickly caught fire and ran into the ground. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> my other entrepreneur kind of situation, my wife is owns and operates an online women's clothing boutique, and I can help or I help her manage a lot of the finances and some of the operational aspects of the business. So we're knee deep in some entrepreneur stuff here at the home office. So very nice. Yeah, good stuff.
0: So the main question that everybody wants to know or the misconception that they have is that people think that banks are evil and they're out to get you. And so I'm like, hey, I have friends that work at the bank. So I think Zach can kind of uh, go against some of those stereotypes. So when it comes to like negotiating with banks, a lot of times people think, oh, there's no wiggle room and the banks are just here to eat you. So is there anything that you could tell us to paint that as a misconception or is it true?
1: Well, it just depends on the situation. You know, overdraft fees, service fees on checking accounts, et cetera, can usually be negotiated with a teller or a personal banker. And they're usually pretty good about opening or giving you the first one back as a courtesy, you know, if you're a regular good banker or good uh, consumer for them. But if you start taking advantage of it where you're having regular overdraft fees and all these fees that you just can't control, they're less likely to kind of give you the first one. Okay. But um, on the mortgage lending side of things, things can be negotiated. If anything is going to be, it's going to be the closing costs. Sometimes the bank can give a lender credit and provide some opportunity there. But really the best way to really negotiate on a mortgage side when you're shopping is kind of pitting two banks against each other. You know, for me, you know, I'm telling the consumers the best way to shop me is to bring in another deal from somebody else. Mm. But that's that's really the kind of the way it works. If somebody says, Well, this other bank is giving me this rate at this cost, I'm gonna say, Well, let me see that in writing. And then they give that to me, and then potentially I can go upstairs to my leadership at the bank and say, Hey, this is what the other bank's given. I think this is a good deal for us to kind of match. Is there any room for us to match? And we kind of work something out that way. But you're going to see that most often in a local community bank. You're not going to really be able to go to the Bank of America's, the Chases, the big box stores, so to speak, and be able to negotiate in that way. But a community bank who wants to build a relationship with you is going to be open to finding terms that it's a win-win situation for everybody.
0: That's really interesting, and I'm glad you brought up that distinction between the big box banks versus the community banks. Can you go a little bit deeper into the value of a relationship with a bank for a business
1: owner? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every business is different, and every bank is built in a way that they want to help businesses. I mean, a bigger bank is looking for numbers and widgets, and they treat you like a number, and if you're bringing value to the bank financially, then they're interested in it. But a community bank wants to, like I mentioned, build a relationship with somebody with you. If you have a personal banker, a personal mortgage lender that you work with on a regular basis for all your business loans, and that's who does all your commercial banking with, they're going to know your business. They're going to know you. They're going to know how you operate your business, what's important to you, what's not important to you. Are fees important to you or are you rate sensitive or are you monthly payment sensitive? They're just going to know you. It's just like going to get your hair cut. If you go to somebody different every time, then they're not going to really know how you like your haircut. But if you go to the same local guy in a barbershop, he's going to know that when Kwame walks in, oh, he likes his hair high and tight every single time. And we take a little bit off the top. That's how it's going to be when you walk into a community bank and speak to your personalized lender, that they're going to know, hey, Kwame just walked in. He's got this business. He's got this podcast. This is kind of how he operates. So there's just that personalized touch that you're going to get at a community
0: bank. Very interesting. Yeah, I think that's great advice, because like I said, people think that there's no flexibility when it comes to banking and lending. So they just kind of take what they're offered. Either they take it or they leave it. And this is good advice. So people know that there is some flexibility and they can get better deals with banks. So in your experience, what kind of numbers are we talking about when we're talking about potentially matching offers or trying to beat an offer? Like how much movement is realistic when it comes to uh, loans?
1: With regard to rate or closing costs, I mean, I, I think it really kind of depends. You know, if, for example, my the closing costs on a refinance for me is eighteen hundred dollars. Okay. But with the right person, we can get it down to four hundred. Oh, now Now, bank has a way of building that into the rate a little bit, where you're still going to get a very competitive rate, and we're going to make sure we still cover the costs we need, but your out-of-pocket cost is going
0: that That's pretty significant, especially right. for small businesses. That that could be
1: huge. Absolutely. Now, this is on the residential side. You know, mm-hmm. commercial side is going to be a little different. It's just operated in a little different way where they look at it in more of, all right, so this is where we'll start with these terms. And is this something you're willing to work with and, and things like that? So the biggest difference between commercial lending and residential lending, residential lending underwrites and operates as if the borrower is going to be paying them back. Commercial lending operates and underwrites as if the business is paying them back so it's less scrutiny on the individual who owns the business it's more scrutiny on the business numbers and how it's operating and is it cash flowing and things like that you know going back to negotiating in in general with a bank is you're going to want to make sure that you have some leverage in the situation for example if you have poor credit no assets and you change your job three times in the last year it's very unlikely that you're going to have that much wiggle room when negotiating with the bank. Or if you just started your business last weekend out of your garage and you have no real numbers to show how your business is operating and doing, and it's all projections and, you know, the will of your heart and the willing to, to do the job and make it happen. Yeah. You, know, you know, banks are going to be more black and white and say, all right, well give yourself six months to a year and then we can talk about a loan in your, for your business. On the residential side, we would want to say, well, you know, we don't have too great of a credit history. Why don't you take some time to kind of get that a little better and then we can talk and then we can have some opportunities to negotiate.
0: That makes sense. So other than actually having a strong financial background and a strong financial track record, if you're a business, what kind of things can we do to tell that story in a way that's more persuasive to the bank to engender more trust in the relationship?
1: You know, it... Sometimes it does take special circumstances. There are exceptions made where, you know, I recently had had a situation where somebody had lived in the same house for 10 years and they took a new job in a new city. They took the risk. They took the, the leap of faith to follow this job. Well, it didn't work out. And over the past two or three years, they've been a little transient when you look at their resident history and their work history. So that kind of raises a red flag to an underwriter and fitting these square pegs and square holes sort of thing with government guidelines and things like that. However, we were able to provide a letter of explanation where I asked the guy, I said, look, you need to really build your story. Tell a story here. What's going on? You've never missed a mortgage payment. You are a good upstanding citizen who who works hard for what he has. And by providing a good story or a letter of explanation to the underwriter, we were able to get the deal done, which is pretty unique. And you're not going to get that at a big box store. you know, maybe stick their neck out for you a little bit as long as some of the other numbers line up right. But that's definitely one way is really building a picture, telling your story, laying it out on the table. I think if you're trying to hold your cards in your hands too much, it becomes very weary to the bank. Like, look, we need some full upfront honesty here. At least that's how I operate. Like, look, I really want to help you. So you need to be forthright with all your information. And by really explaining it out, that might be the best opportunity.
0: That makes sense. And what's really interesting about this is the fact that one of the keys to building trust is sharing information. And when it comes to these particular negotiations with banks, I think people are a little bit wary to share any negative uh, or information that might be perceived as negative. But you're saying that you need to know the good, the bad and the ugly.
1: Yeah, we need to see it all so that we can make a a true decision. I mean, any other decision you make in your life, you don't want to make with half the story. You want to understand everything that goes into it. So, for example, let's say you are going to go buy a house, but you only get to see the front of the house. Well, it's going to be really hard for you to make a decision on whether you want to buy that house or not. You want to go inside. You want to see the layout. You want to make sure it gets inspected. You want to make sure that you know the basement's not flooding, things like that. We want to see the whole story. We want to make sure that we understand the consumer and make sure that's somebody that we want to work with.
0: That makes sense. So let's get into the nitty gritty here when it comes to negotiation, when it comes to loans. So what kind of things are negotiable? I know you mentioned before fees, rates, closing costs. Are there any other things that we should be looking out for?
1: Sometimes the term of the loan can be negotiated depending on the type of bank you're, you work with. Some terms are only going to be on adjustable rate terms where it's fixed for five years. And then after that, it starts adjusting some special types You know, If you can't get a 30-year fix, that's likely you're going to be your scenario. There's different rates attached to those adjustables. But kind of the terms of the loan, business loans are going to be a little bit more negotiable saying, all right, well, typically the commercial lenders are going to take your deal. They're going to sit down. They're going to say, all right, well, we're going to offer you a 5-1 arm on a 20-year term. And then maybe you say, well, what if we do a 5-1 arm on a 25-year term and I'll take a or point higher rate. So those are the three main pillars of a loan is the cost or the fees, the rate, and then the term. And those are really the main negotiating pillars, I guess you'd say, is that or those are the things that can potentially be negotiated. Now, if you're getting a 30-year fixed loan through Freddie Mac, kind of a standard everyday vanilla loan, you're not really going to be able to negotiate the term. The rate can fluctuate based on credit score and things like that there can be some room to negotiate that but if the 30-year fixed rate that day is you know three and a half percent you can't say well i want three percent okay well, go down the street to any other bank and tell me where they have three percent on a 30-year fix it's not necessarily going to be like that but the fees you can say well you're charging me let's get down line by line item here there's title fees there's things like this can i use my own title company are you charging title insurance can we do a title opinion those are some opportunities for the average consumer to really look at and understand a way to potentially lower their costs on doing loan. Well.
0: That's really interesting, because what I love about this is that this is stuff that I didn't know. So this is going to be fun for our listeners because I'm learning with them on this, too. Yeah. Wow. So the savings for a, a consumer could be potentially pretty significant if they can negotiate the right way.
1: Potentially, potentially. I mean, let's say if it's somebody who has a a sibling who works at a title company and this bank is going to charge title insurance. Well, title insurance is pretty hefty. Now on purchases, I would highly recommend getting title insurance. Title insurance is what protects you from any back taxes or anything that shows up on title that somebody else may have access to the property. It just guarantees that you are the sole owner. But on a refinance, you know, if you go to a bigger box store, they're going to charge you title insurance, which can be a couple thousand dollars if they're willing to do a title opinion or you can find a title company that will do a title opinion for you, you could potentially lower the costs on your closing costs if you're choosing to go through a bigger bank like that. Now, my bank doesn't charge title insurance for a refinance. So we're already keeping our costs as low as possible. And then depending on if you're open to paying the $1,800 and getting the lower rate or paying the $400 in closing costs and getting a slightly higher rate, you know, then, then that's a way for the consumer to save a lot on a refi. Wow.
0: That's fascinating. All right. If you were going to give three negotiation tips for negotiating with the
1: bank, what would it be? I guess my main one would be to ask, You know, speak up more effectively, communicate what you want and see if there's any opportunity or any wiggle room in any of those numbers. And they may say, no, there's not worry. This is the best deal I can possibly get. You no, know, then maybe it's time to shop around and see if it really is the best deal that they can give. So, I guess I don't have three. I got one. (laughs) It's a a good one, though. It's just just ask. It's just ask. You know, so many people are intimidated by banks, quite honestly, that, oh, I got to go to the bank and ask for money. Well, this doesn't need to be an intimidating situation. Let's just create an open line of communication. You need to ask for what you want and then communicate that the most effective way possible with the person that you're working with.
0: Yeah, I love that because that's something that I keep on saying. I said in one of my earlier podcasts, too, that's the first step in every negotiation. And that's where most negotiations fail because people just don't ask for what they want.
1: Yeah, I mean, what's worst case scenario, they say no. And then, okay, then you're just right back where you started. You're not really... You know, it's not really a a losing situation. if you just ask. Exactly.
0: Have you ever seen a situation where somebody asked in a way that actually offended you? And the reason I'm asking this is because one of the reasons why people don't ask is they feel like, oh, if I ask for more, people will think I'm greedy or I might offend the person. Have you ever experienced that?
1: Yeah. Most of the people that ask for the most are higher end clients. So my thoughts regarding that is, well, the reason they're high-end clients is because they've asked for everything their entire lives. And they've gotten to a point where they've negotiated and you know they're well off and they have a lot of assets and a lot of real estate assets or what have you. So I had an example last week where they've asked for just everything. They know they're high-end clients. They know that the bank wants to work with them. So they ask, hey, can we get a lower rate on this? Which I know nobody in town is going to be lower than where I am on this specific product. But he just knows that he's a higher end client. He's got a lot of assets. He knows that he's got the leverage that we want to work with him. The bank wants to have his assets on deposit or whatever else he may have. So he knows that, well, he's got the upper hand. He can say, well, I I want this rate, I want this term, and I want these things. And he tried to dictate that to us. And the way our our bank kind of works, we say, look, this is the best that we can possibly do. So that it's a win-win for both the bank and and we just kind of sat down with him and said, "Look, this is it. You're not going to find these terms, rate, and cost any better at any other community bank in Central Ohio. It is what it is." And he was like, "Okay, all right, that's fine." So he just <laughs> continued to ask, and we just had to say, "Look, this is, we're already as low as we can possibly." I think once he understood that, he was totally okay
0: with. It. You said something that was really powerful earlier on, and I want to really hone in on that. You said the people who ask for the most are the people who are like the most successful because they've asked for the most throughout their lives. And that's a really powerful point because a lot of times the differences between somebody's income, earning potential or wealth, overall wealth, the difference between two people isn't really a substantive difference. It just comes down to what somebody is willing to ask for. And that could be the difference between success and failure, your willingness to ask for what you want. That was a really great point, Zach.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and that goes for asking externally and asking internally. Is what I'm doing acceptable for how I see myself? Are my expectations the right way? Am I asking of myself the right question? Do I have the right drive and things like that? So not only asking externally for what you want, but asking internally for what you want. Yeah, that's a phenomenal point. Yeah, and the thing is,
0: too, when it comes down to negotiation, even if you don't consider yourself an expert or you don't feel like you've had a lot of experience in negotiation, If you go about it in a way that's respectful to the person that you're talking to and you know clearly what you want and you go in there with self-awareness, it's very unlikely that you're going to run into a situation where you offend somebody and lose the deal. You know, so that's really good advice. I'm glad you shared that, Zach. Yeah, yeah. Good deal. So now we've, we've had an opportunity to talk about, from an entrepreneur's standpoint, the benefits of negotiation when it comes to loans and how they should go about having that negotiation. But you also have a lot of sales experience. So I wanted you to talk to us about your experience with sales negotiations from a seller's perspective.
1: From a seller's perspective, I keep it really straightforward. As I mentioned earlier, I had that client who was really trying to beat us down on rate and term. And we said, look, this is it. This is the best we have. And so I just try to work to educate my clients on the process and the product that they're getting by answering as many questions as they might have. So they want to negotiate the rate or closing costs. You know, Often the first option that I present is the best option that I can possibly provide to them. I don't try to go in and say, oh, let's try to get one over on these people so that, you know, the bank can make more money. I'm usually trying to get more for the consumer than the bank is willing to kind of give up, quite honestly. But I just try to really work to educate and be really straightforward with my consumers. I
0: like the fact that you use the word educate versus something like dictate. You know, a lot of times when people are in a selling position, they kind of approach it from a position of arrogance. Like, I know what's best for you type of thing. But when mm-hmm. you, when you use the word educate, you turn the entire conversation into a learning experience. And that takes the pressure off of you and a little bit of pressure off the consumer as well. So I think that's a really great approach.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I have a education background. I mean, I went to school for education, all that stuff before I got into banking. And this is really how I operate. I don't really consider myself in a sales position. I'm in an education role. There's many people that come to the bank that don't know the process of buying a house or how a mortgage works and all the details that go into it. So my goal, whenever I get an opportunity to help, it's just as simply, all right, what do you know and what do we need to learn before you're comfortable making a decision on buying a house?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And adding on to that too, earlier I talked about relieving pressure, but a lot of times people feel a lot of negotiation anxiety, when it could be a potential big sale as, a, mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, especially when you're just starting out, every sale is a big sale. And so we put pressure on ourselves and that pressure can lead to poorer performance. But if you look at it as a situation where you're trying to educate your client and learn more about your client at the same time, it really makes the conversation flow a lot better. It makes it a little bit more natural.
1: Yeah, to kind of tack on to that, I think what comes with that. You know, when, like you said, when you're starting out, every sale is a big sale. I think what will help with that is confidence. And by knowing the product and knowing the pricing and knowing the nuance of whatever it is you're selling so that you can speak confidently on it is a game changer when selling or negotiating.
0: Right. And like you said, when it comes to confidence, it's the competence that leads to more confidence. And like mm-hmm. you said, you need to know your product, know the numbers and know these things going in. And your goal should be to know more than anybody else in the conversation going in. And then you'll feel a lot better about your position in that conversation. Absolutely. So do you have any like persuasion or selling tips that you rely on that you you find very persuasive or
1: effective? Um, So there's one that I've just kind of recently picked up a little bit is that you can't be all things to all people sometimes. And you can't always just be you know succumb to all the requests of the consumer. They're just trying to be the best at getting a win-win all around, you know, compromise is the true win-win. So, you know, some people, as I mentioned earlier, this guy was really beating us up. And in other ways, just sometimes you got to take it away. you just got to say, look, this is it. If it's not what you want, then then we can be done here. And they sometimes go, oh, no, 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 we're fine, we're fine, we're fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so that's just another way you can kind of you know, take it away, and you can't be all things to all people sometimes.
0: Right. And I think that gives you a lot of confidence too. knowing when, again, going back to knowing, knowing what you don't want and knowing when the conversation goes to an area where where it's something you can't do. You can confidently say, I'm sorry, that's something I can't do and know that it's that's that's your limit. Yeah, it helps. Definitely helps. Good deal. So coming down to the last questions here. What would you say is your negotiation philosophy when it comes to persuasion and having these conversations?
1: It, it's a win-win all the time. I think our conversations kind of revolve around this, is that educating, being open and honest, and a win-win at all times. If it's something that the bank can be happy with, it's something the consumer is happy with and excited about, and they feel like if the consumer feels like they're really getting a good deal, then I'm happy. And that's that's what I try to do. I mean, even... really in any negotiation, whether it's with my kids or a client, you know, how do we meet in the middle and make everybody seem like they're winning out, you know? So, and that sounds really basic. And that's like a, you know, true negotiation staple is a win-win, but that's just kind of how I operate.
0: Right. And I think that's the right way to do it too. That's good. All right. And if you could challenge our audience to do one thing in the next week
1: to become a better negotiator, what would it be? I mentioned this earlier, and it sounds like you've mentioned it several times before, but ask, speak up, more effectively communicate what you want in any given situation. You, know, you happen to the world. The world doesn't happen to you. So you know, I'm not saying to walk around and be a jerk and ask him for everything. <laughs> you know, be confident and present in something you may want out of a situation and express that.
0: Good stuff. And how can people reach you?
1: I can be reached on Instagram at Mortgage Coach Zach. My website is www.mortgagecoachzack.com. I'm on Twitter at Mortgage Coach Zach, Facebook, Mortgage Coach Zach. You can see a theme here. And then uh, <laughs> my my wife's business, her online women's boutique is called The Gemma Shop. And you can shop online at TheGemmaShop.com. You can find her on Instagram at, at TheGemmaShop. So that's about it. That's can cool. be reached. A lot of different ways.
0: I'm loving the consistency of branding. Branding, (laughs) man. That's what it's
1: about. That's the future. Personal branding. That's awesome. So
0: with the Gemma shop, how do you spell Gemma?
1: Uh, With a G-E, I'm sorry. Okay. The Gemma, G-E-M-M-A shop. Perfect. Good stuff. Well, thank you
0: so much for this. This is incredibly helpful.
1: No, Kwame, thank you. This is a great opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you're finding this information helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. My goal is to teach these skills to as many people as possible, and leaving a review helps our search results, which helps us to reach more people. And remember, negotiation is where persuasion and problem-solving meet. So if you ever have any questions or need help with specific situations, feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to help. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great week, and I'll catch you in the next one.